Today's program was brought to you by Roth, Wisconsin, makers of the world's best cheese and pioneers in the U.S. artisan cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Rachel Jacobs. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is episode 185. We are very, very excited to be getting very near our 200th episode. It has been an awesome four years. Four years, Mary. my God. It's crazy. (laughs) Because also it coincided with... When I moved in with you, uh, true, Sandy. and then when you started your professional brewing that career, all, really, or when you, this. you know, yeah, yeah, I am because of this show. Thank you for <laughs> Thank you, listeners. Thanks for the support. Thanks to all the guests. I mean, good God, learned so much uh, in all of these questions. Well, thanks, uh, and thank you to Heritage Radio Network. This, this, uh, this, this station is just absolutely incredible. All the shows, um, but there's this city is awesome. What's happening in the city, Mary? Well, let's start with Thursday night. We have to mention, so uh, if you've been, if you're a regular listener, you'll know that Chris and Kelly Taylor, who owns Kelso Brewing Company here in New York City, uh, did a, they're doing a series of beer trolley brewery tours in New York City. <laughs> now that we have enough... Uh, Refurbished trolleys. And breweries. <laughs> and breweries. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also breweries. <laughs> anyway, so they did one um, about a month ago, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And you're having your... The next one is Thursday night. Your visit... It's called what? The Outer Limits? The Outer Limits. So we're going to the edges of, of Queens. We're starting uh, at LIC Beer Project, kind of the edge of Long Island City. Uh, then we're headed to uh, Thinback and then up to uh, Single Cut. Uh, oh, no, sorry. We're doing Bridge and Tunnel also. And then up to finishing at Single Cut. Kind of, except the trolley is going to bring anybody back to LIC Beer Project. If, uh, if which they, isn't too far. Want, which isn't too far, anyway. right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, anyway, so it and, is sold I'm, out, unfortunately. It is, it is, unfortunately. But we say all this to say that, you know, stay tuned mm-hmm. for the next one, which will go on on uh, public announcement and sale probably in one week's time. And it's going to be, I think, January 12th, um, going to... Uh, Going to the Bronx, so beer in the Ooh. Bronx, and I know that's uh, the a place. best way to get to the Bronx is by trolley. So. Yeah, darn straight. <laughs> <laughs> or show up in the Bronx, and a trolley will take you around the Bronx. Oh. Uh, so that that will visit uh, Gun Hill's new satellite location. We'll visit Gun Hill, uh, where I'm currently brewing, actually helping out over there, and then we'll go to uh, Chelsea Brewing Company um, and Bronx Brewing Company. Oh, awesome. What else is going coming up in February? Ooh, February. This is very, very exciting. It is Homebrew Alley number 11. So the New York City Homebrewers Guild has been hosting uh, one of the East Coast's largest homebrew competitions, AHA, uh, BJCP-sanctioned uh, homebrew competitions. You can go to homebrewalley.com. Uh, count registration is open. We will be holding it um, at Alewife on February 10th and February 11th. Um, the... We are accepting registrations until February 
12th? Wait, that'd be too late. You'd miss the, you'd miss the whole deal. Anyway, starting now until then, there's going to be a, a deadline date, cutoff date. Go to homebrewrally.com. Um, we could use stewards. We could use judges. If you are in the tri-state area, please go there to sign up and, and lend your pallet Or if assistance. you just want to come to New York City and you're looking for a good excuse, this is one of them. Uh, yeah, that's right. We, on that Saturday night at Alewife, there's always a huge party, and we celebrate the winners. Um, and Alewife is an amazing beer bar in Long Island City and worth the visit alone. So please join us and submit entries if you are a home brewer. So we're coming into uh, we're 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 past Thanksgiving. We're headed down to the December holidays. So maybe you're start to starting to think about gifts. And I thought it'd be cool if we talked about we've had some of our guests have either launched or are launching uh, companies or have some really cool things that would make excellent gifts. So I want to start with Jessica Sennett of Cheese Grotto. She was on flipping through my tabs. She was on episode 142, and um, she has launched the Cheese Grotto. She, she has, did. Yeah. Right if you go to Cheese Grotto, that's G-R-O-T-T-O dot com, what is the Cheese Grotto? Well, Stephen Jenkins, who's a world-renowned cheese specialist, says that this century-old device is the right and only way to keep and store cheese. Her Cheese Grottos are now available. They're actually made in Virginia, which is really cool, and she has an exclusive offer through December 31st. It's $3.50 for the Grotto. You get $50 towards the Formaggio Kitchen Cheese of the Month Club, and you get free shipping. So check that out for all of the cheese lovers in your life. Uh, next up is, actually we've had, I think, all three of these people on. It's Beerbox. Um, oh, and I didn't look up the episode, but Beerbox.co, and that's my friends, Daily Crafton and Joey Dennert, uh, home brewers. Uh, Daily Crafton, both of them are members of the Bruminaries here in New York City. Daily Crafton is an old regular of mine at uh, Beer Street. They're working together with another host of, of a show here on, on Heritage Radio Network, Harry Rosenblum, and uh, to make Beer Box, B-I-E-R-B-O-X uh, dot co. And basically they are homebrew kits, um, very simple, accessible Easy to uh, uh, to execute uh, recipes that will be shipped to your door on a quarter. They feature one recipe per quarter, I believe, something like that. Uh, and it's a great subscription. Yeah, you get a kit every three months. Kit. Or it's, you can buy a one-time gift. Right. Or send it as a gift. Right. And I think a lot of the target audiences are for home brewers that uh, – new brewers or old brewers that don't have a whole lot of time to do the shopping, window shopping, and, and to design the recipes and and uh, take the time to do that. They just want to go in, get it done, and, and also have the pride of, of having fermented it. They're project-minded, but don't want to go necessarily crazy uh, into that recipe design stage. Um, and they're actually doing a Kickstarter. They're going to ship for the ho- in time for the holidays. So if you go to beerbox.co, that's, again, B-I-E-R-B-O-X.co, they have a link to their Kickstarter. So I think that would make another excellent gift. I also want to mention that... Brian Hall, who was one of our guests, we had him originally on episode 32, and then I think we had him again when we, we talked to him again at uh, the National Homebrewers Conference this year. Um, but he has the blog Brow- Brewery Chuga, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong. I think I always do. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he has a great gift guide on his blog. So it's Browery, B-R-O-U-W-E-R-I-J dash Chuga, C-H-U-G-A-C-H dot com. We'll put, all, we'll put these links up. I want some of your Browery Chuga. On the Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but he has a great gift guide, and he talks specifically about brewing, including uh, the Anova Sous Vide pressure yes. precision cooker, which Chris and I have at home and we've talked about before, using both for beer and a variety of, of food and other things. I actually, uh, 
converted my starches to sugar in my sweet potatoes for a Friendsgiving that last week with our Anova sous vide. And your regular yogurt, yogurt making? Yes, that's Cranking. how I make my yogurt as well. Um, but anyway, he has a great list on Browery Sugar, so check that out. And last but not least, of course, a great gift would be a membership to the Heritage best Radio gift Network. Ever. So, uh, obviously, if you about it, we're part of the Heritage Radio Network family. Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported, not-profit radio station devoted to all things food and beverage. So, right now, we especially need your support. Our end-of-the-year fundraiser is going on. We have a variety of rewards that you can get. Oh, yeah, there's some new... Uh potholders that we what? have. There's one. Uh, we're looking at one right now in the severed head of a uh, taxidermied pig. Boar. Boar. He's uh, very happy. He's yeah, very happy. He loves it. <laughs> he loves Yeah. He absolutely but loves it. And we have some uh, beer koozies, too. Keep your beer uh, temperate. <laughs> um, there's also other member benefits like monthly best of playlists. There's lots of swag, discounted events, tickets, members only parties, and all kinds of good stuff. So if you'd like to donate, either join yourself and or give a gift of membership, you can go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Let me tell you, there is no party like a Heritage Radio Network party. That what? Because what? a Heritage Radio party don't stop unless we lose funding, which is where you come in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Speaking of party, what a great episode we have today. Um, Our guest today uh, is intriguing, enlightening, inspiring, and her name is Jenny Dorsey. Thank you for joining us on Heritage Radio. Thank you for having me. On Ferment About It. Tell us a little about yourself and and what you do in the fermented world. Uh, So my name is Jenny, and I'm a chef and culinary consultant based in New York City. Uh, I work in culinary consulting full-time, but on the side, my husband and I run this underground restaurant tasting series um, called I Forgot It's Wednesday. So that is like a creative palette for me. I get to go do whatever I'm kind of feeling at that moment, put together courses. So every six weeks or so, we have uh, a group of people come over um, and we do seven courses of food, food, four courses of uh, homemade cocktails. And it's kind of like run of the gambit of what you're going to have that night. Um, Totally like unknown. The guests usually know maybe like two days in advance and it's all sorts of interesting fermented foods or other culinary delights from around the world. (laughs) So how did you get into the, the food world? And then, and eventually the fermentation world. Um, I started my career actually in management consulting and realized I totally hated it. So I had started my MBA. I left. I decided to go to culinary school, worked in restaurant kitchens, and decided that, hey, you know, I want to do something that's both food and uh, business related. And I want to do something full-time in the food world. What does that mean? Spent a lot of time freelancing and trying to figure out my life, basically, for a few years. And uh, it came down to having a business where I could do more like consulting for different food businesses and also having a creative outlet for myself and for my husband. So we started this dinner series as a way not only for us to experiment and be creative, but also as a way for um, the two of us to get a group of people together and have them connect on a deeper level. So within that, while people are, we're getting people to talk to each other and talk to each other about, you know, bigger things than just like the weather or how the subways are running that day. <laughs> um, we talk about that though. <laughs> <laughs> we always start a conversation that way. <laughs> 
um, we we were saying, hey, well, you know, what would really challenge them is if we got more interesting food. When we first started, it was I was always nervous that people would be like turned off from things that they hadn't had before, or things that sounded weird, or maybe things they just are unfamiliar with. But uh, especially as we really narrowed down our audience, people. I realized like the right kind of people who come are open-minded and they want to try new stuff. So I should put it out in front of them and see how they react, which is where the fermented foods came in. People love like learning about new foods, and when it's like fermented and fermented at home, they're usually so unfamiliar with what that palate tastes like or what that is on their palate. Besides, you know, having beer and wine, they're like, "What does what's fermentation? What does that mean in food?" Or besides sauerkraut, you know, um, and it was met with such a positive like reception. I was like, oh, I should learn more about this or find different ways to incorporate it in my cuisine. Awesome. So, what was it? What, what were some of your beginner ferments? Um, my first one I ever did was uh, fermented tea leaves, which is really popular in Burma. And I've not been to Burma, but um, Burmese cuisine is strangely very popular in San Francisco, which uh, I lived for a, a year or so. And I went to their like namesake big um, Burmese restaurant out there called Burma Superstar and they have this tea leaf salad and I was like totally blown away by just all the textures and flavors going on. I just never had anything like it slash never thought of fermenting tea leaves slash never thought to eat it as a salad. Like what was going on? My like my cheeks, I don't understand. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's basically t- green tea leaves that um, in Burma apparently they take the best tea leaves. It's like such a big deal that they take the very best ones, they wash them and and they ferment them in a certain way with, you know, their, I guess, like their secret mix of things. Um, at home, I usually do a mix of different seasonings, like Maggie seasoning, which is from the region, garlic, shallots, lime juice, um, stuff like that. And they plate it in a like a salad bowl with all these crunchy nuts, crunchy fried garlic, crunchy shallots with some lettuce, and you mix it all together. It's like very DIY. Um, apparently, it's like a peace offering in their culture. Like in the olden days, it's like very much this like all immersive culinary experience. So when you say you you mix it with all those things, do you, how long do you let it sit? Are you using salt with these tea leaves? What's what's Exactly what is the fermentation process with the tea leaves? Yeah, so you um, you wash it, um, you dry it, and make sure it's you know like it's damp and it's not like soggy. And then I spin it in a food processor with all like with, there's some salt in there. There's uh, some sort of acid, whether it's like lime juice or vinegar, um, garlic and shallots and peanut oil and such. Um, I put it in a vacuum bag and seal it. And I ferment everything at home in my wine cooler. That's my like <laughs> secret idea. Thought of it. You know, putting things in the pantry was starting to worry me. I'm like, I don't know how what temperature my pantry is. Sure. Um, so I was I would stick it in the wine cooler, usually like sixty or sixty five degrees, and leave it for about a week. And then you take it out after a week or so and see how you feel about the taste. As it goes on, it gets a little funkier. It gets a little bit more sour, but not like in a tart way, just kind of a nuanced sour taste, which is good if that's what you're looking for. But at the same time, you're considering all the other things that go into the salad. So you don't want it to be too saltier and sour and overpower everything else. So, yeah. Cool. So can I just go home and open a tea bag and, and ferment that? Or, or is there like a, do they have to be fresh tea leaves? No, you can use dried ones. You just, um, you have to boil them uh, 
like with a little bit of vinegar and water and then drain them again so that they're rehydrated and you pick out anything like if you if you don't have like super super nice tea leaves there's usually some sticks in it so you have to pick out all the sticks and make sure it's only like soft tea leaves um i usually use like a nice grade like japanese sencha tea green tea sort of thing i let them sit overnight in cold water before blending everything else in it um and yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty simple and you can use it with any you can use a different type of tea leaf if you like Oh, wow. So it is super accessible. I wonder why it hasn't caught on. Um, I've never heard of Burmese uh, tea salad before. I, I wonder know. why it hasn't caught on in New York. I know. Under it's so some weird. cuisine, though. Yeah, it's it's so weird because, you know, New York is the the pioneer and everything, and, it, like, nobody has it here. And it's, like, kind of, yeah, it's totally this, like, interesting, crunchy experience that I haven't had before. That's interesting. So Chris and I recently have gotten into Himalayan food, mm-hmm. which is, is kind of related, but we've had some uh, fermented foods in those cuisines that we had never heard of either. So I think, you know, it's there's just a lot of cuisines that ferment stuff and yeah. we never, you know, it's really hard it's to... It's such a preservation method, you know, yeah. because they didn't, didn't have refrigeration and they were finding out different ways to make their food last longer and all these, like, wonderful things happen to it. Yes, yeah. and you get a lot of other aromas and flavors yes. involved in it as well. Well, we're going to take a very brief break and we'll be right back with more Jenny Dorsey. Ferment about it. Have you tasted the world's best cheese? Grand Cru Sourchois is the 2016 World Cheese Champion. Our partners at Roth, Wisconsin make this gorgeous alpine-style cheese in the rolling hills of Greene County, Wisconsin. Grand Cru Sourchois is produced by hand in Swiss copper vats and finished by aging on spruce planks. The quality milk and careful craftsmanship bring out the award-winning light floral notes, nutty undertones, a hint of fruitiness, and a mellow finish. Perfect with Riesling and Muscat, Grand Cru Sourchois is a guaranteed hit for any occasion. Check out their other offerings at RothCheese.com. You'll discover Buttermilk Blue and their newest release, Prairie Sunset, the golden-hued love child of Mimolette and Gouda. You'll also find recipes like the Raclette Reuben and Tomato Tartlets. Everything you need to know about the world's best cheese is at RothCheese.com. Welcome back to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is episode 185, and we are here in the studio with Jenny Dorsey of I Forgot It's Wednesday. <laughs> we were just talking about a fermented a dish, a Burmese dish, fermented tea leaves. Um, and I just want to note that, that uh, I've long wanted to do a show on what they call fermented tea leaves, or, or pu er, is one of my favorite teas in China. And I've got a friend named Derek Lim who runs a tea shop out there. But it's important to note that those Out there are, being Hong Kong. Out there being, sorry, yes, being Hong mm-hmm. Kong. My parents live in Hong Kong. Um, I know it's hard to tell. My accent uh, is... <laughs> anyway, yes, uh, we're going to talk about that kind of fermented tea leaf, which is not actually fermented, it's actually just more of an aged thing, and, and uh, which is really fun, but it's way different than a lacto-ferment that we just spoke of. Um, Mary, you had one uh, announcement that you really wanted to get to real quick. No, I was just going to mention, since we were talking about 
uh, Burmese cuisine and, and Himalayan cuisine um, that our friend Joe DiStefano is actually uh, leading a Queen's Dinner Club treks to Tibet on December 12th uh, from 7 to 10 p.m. in Jackson Heights. And you can uh, search for it on Eventbrite. So I was just going to say that's worth a mention because I think the cuisine that we've had at least that's in that we haven't been to a Bur- strictly Burmese restaurant, I don't no. think yet, but um, it's really worth checking out and really delicious. And this is a good opportunity to to try. Jenny, you you do a lot of other kind of really fun ferments. We were just talking about a break. Yeah. Uh, what are some of those, and what do you get into, and where are they coming from? One of my favorites is this Thai sour pork um, that I started having when I was in Thailand. I went there last year with my husband on our honeymoon, nice. and I mean, there's a lot of amazing food in Thailand, but obviously you have to eat a lot of street food, and so there was always these sausage vendors everywhere, and so I went through this like phase where I would like every day I would have a new type of sausage. It was great, and. <laughs> And uh, there was this amazing fermented sausage that I like. I just didn't. I didn't know what they were doing. I was like so addicted to it. It's like a, l- a little bit savory. It's really sour in like a good way. Um, the texture is really nice, and it's. Um, I guess it's called the fermentation process there is called nime. I don't know if I'm saying that pr- properly. And they cure ground pork with um, pig skin and they sh- put it into a sausage, sausage casing and it's really great. And so when I got home, I was researching a little bit more about that and came across this blog called She Simmers. It's like a food blog. Um, and she was talking about how she uses the same technique on pork ribs. So I was like, I have to try this. This sounds so amazing. And it's actually a pretty simple curing process. You take uh, raw pork ribs, you stuff them in some sort of container. I use a vacuum bag because I think it's uh, generally like just seems safer to me um, versus putting it in a jar and doesn't fit properly with the ribs and you coat it in this mixture of cooked rice, garlic and salt. You have to get the ratio somewhat in the right category. Cooked and rice. Cooked, cooked rice. Yeah. So yeah and um, you like get that mixture all nice and sticky get it all over your ribs, you stuff it in the vacuum pack container, put it in your wine fridge, and you let it sit for like three to five days, depending on how tart you want to get it. And it's like amazing. The rice forms this interesting crust around the ribs. You bake them off to finish so you can't like eat them raw. I guess you could, but I don't. Um, you can fry them, you can bake them off, and they're incredible. You can do the same with beef, you can do it with lamb. Do not do it with poultry. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's amazing. I, like, yeah, I've been trying to get that in every too. menu. Everybody yeah. needs to eat this. <laughs> That's wow. awesome. Do you have any insight into what that kind of process is I, of what it's doing? I am not sure. I mean, it's interesting to me that it's cooked rice. I feel like yeah. the rice must be releasing something. Um, and I don't know. Like, playing with garlic always kind of made me wary. So that, it, like, that together, I was like, oh, I don't know. But I don't know what it is. It takes on this interesting, like, nuanced depth that you just wouldn't get from pork originally. And if when you do it with beef, it tastes completely different. But it, it I feel like it, it's, like, deepening the flavor of the pork or the beef, which is fascinating. Oh, it's probably a lacto or some other bacteria. Yeah. I'm guessing lacto. Yeah, from the cooked. Yeah, yeah and from yeah. basically how you're describing how it tastes. And I don't know. I don't know. we got to try that. I know. Does it work with fish? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I would do it with fish. That makes me a little bit nervous. <laughs> all right, Chris, you got to try it. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm, I'm already planning it. I'm already planning it. So let's talk about fermented Berber, and I always yeah. pronounce. How do you pronounce it? I think it is Berber, but Berber. I, I don't know. Can you, can you spell it for the listeners? B e r b e r e. 
It's just and the tell us what it is. Yeah, yeah. so it's um, berber is kind of like the the essential um, Ethiopian like spice blend, kind of like what garam masala is for Indian food. Mm-hmm. So it's the foundation that they use a lot of uh, use it for a lot of other things. Um, so in its core, it's a, like a chili spice blend. Um, it's dry. It's usually a deep red color. I think berber is kind of meant to be the middle like spicy uh, middle variety in terms of spiciness. So there's like a milder one and the, like a more spicy one so the chilies that they use is like the, the medium one um but yeah you can use it's everybody has their own kind of like version of it and it's you know done to eye and like every mom has kind of their own thing um but yeah i went to this really interesting class with an ethiopian chef in san francisco and he was talking about his own heritage and he was talking about how he makes up like a stickier paste from it and I, this happened as I was making the tea leaves the first time. And I was like, what if I just made this paste and then I stuck it in the wine fridge with the tea leaves and what will happen? Um, and it's, yeah, it's like this really lovely, like toned down version of a spicy bear bear sauce. It's still got like the heat um, kind of in the back from the chilies. It's got a little bit of that garlic situation because I added some garlic, but also like has paprika, has these nigella seeds and basil seeds. It's like very earthy with some top lemon notes well-rounded it's like uh, yeah it's amazing with beef i just like smother it on everything you can eat it with rice it's yeah it's that sounds awesome awesome. i love ethiopian food and somebody actually just brought us a big sack of bear bear and i haven't done anything with it uh, I saw that Marcus Samuelson actually had an article, or like he had like a bunch of things to do with Berbera yeah. sauce, and I kind of had actually I pinned it on my Pinterest board. But this yeah. is inspiring me even more. So this sounds awesome. And for people that, where do you get your Berbera? I make it um, from like a variety of different spices, but I think you can buy them uh, pre-made at some of the bigger, you know, like the spice like Lucian's yeah. so or something. You, I bet. You're, oh yeah, that's where I got. I mean, that's where I got my original, and then somebody brought me some from somewhere in the. Somewhere else in the country, <laughs> I remember. But you can probably order it if you want to buy bear bear. So you make yeah. your bear bear from scratch completely. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So it's That's yeah, awesome. it's a bit of a process, but it's it's worth it. And like they have their own like special spice butter that you have to cook all the meat in before you put the bear bear. And it yeah, it's like a very involved sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, oh, are, you, are you looking at oh, yeah, what it, is what is, it is Google bear bear. Translate? I've, I've always I've always said berberry, but it is bear bear. Berber? Berber. Is that Google Translate? Berber. Berber. Oh, is that pronunciation manual? It's a little bit like Gerber. <laughs> yeah, like Berber. 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 There we go. Berber. This came out because, so over Thanksgiving, Sorry. Chris and I had a, um, I call them Berber. giblets, and Chris calls them giblets. Giblets. That's, you know, what comes from the inside <laughs> of the turkey. Giblets. So I never really thought about it. I just said giblets. But it turns out the most common pronunciation is giblet. Mary's once again more right than me, but we're both right. So. But ever since then, now we've been like looking up how to pronounce everything on the internet. So that will explain that. Um, so let's talk about what else you also have done, a fermented duck broth. Yes, that was um, kind of a play, actually, now that we've been talking about the soured ribs. Um, I did, I cooked the duck initially. Um, I do this like rub duck breast. Um, and then because I take the whole duck down for it, I'll take the carcass, um, roast it off, and then break down little pieces and do a similar ferment as with the Thai soured ribs, uh, which makes me a little less nervous because the duck's already cooked. Uh, 
I hope. And um, yeah, so I'll do that in the refrigerator. And after it's been smothered on all the good rice stickiness um, for a couple days, then I'll take the bones out and then cook it with the rice and make a stock out of it. And it's like an interesting, it's not too duck flavored. I feel like it mellows out the duck a little bit, which is interesting. And you can I use it as like a braising liquid for a lot of other things, such as the, the bear bear short ribs. Um, it adds like this interesting kind of like, slightly tart sort of there's like I don't know how to describe it besides when you eat it you're like hmm there was like some some interesting tartness there that I don't know where it came from so yeah I I really love what it does and it's like so subtle so people people will never talk about it because it's not enough to be like oh did you did you taste that but I think when people go home they think about it and so that's yeah that's the draw and I think that's something that's important when we talk about fermentation not only because if you're fermenting something because you're making alcohol or you're making uh, something that has a lot of probiotics in it, but because a lot of fermented foods have that extra, that extra oomph to them. Mm-hmm. Like I've been, I mostly am a vegetarian the majority of the time, and um, I've been using my house-made miso and also, actually, I, I do pescatarian, I guess, but um, I just got some bourbon barrel-aged fish sauce, and I think like those kind of fermented, like soy sauce, mm-hmm. those kind of fermented foods just add that extra zing to them so that's another reason to ferment to to use some of these fermented foods is not only um you know for the probiotic the health factor but also to add this extra depth to your food that you can't get any other way yeah one of my two favorite like fermented cooking ingredients i mean besides the fermented fish sauce is fermented black beans and fermented broad bean sauce which is like a I'm not actually sure what the bean looks like but it's a brown sauce um more common in thai cooking so the black beans are really it's like everywhere in Chinese food. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really salty and they're very fermented. And if you like grind them up and kind of like sprinkle them in something else, it's like an interesting, especially if you're making some Italian food, you like sprinkle some fermented black beans in there. People Ooh, are like, what's happening? Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. like, There's something in this. I just can't quite place. Like, yeah. <laughs> I bet you wouldn't have guessed it. Um, and the broad bean sauce, they classically use it in this mixture. Um, they do like this poached chicken and rice dish. And and the chicken's like really, really gently poached in just some water and some like, I think there's like garlic in there, but just like very gentle. Um, and then they make this really pungent sauce that kind of goes with it. So you get a little like poached chicken, pungent sauce, chicken fat rice, and it's like this beautiful, harmonious like situation. So, so the yeah. fermented broad bean is, do you buy the, them? I buy, I buy like it in a Thai grocery? Yeah, yeah. Gro- okay. Just like, okay, cool. Um, your husband does the mixology at the dinners. Does he ever use any uh, any vinegar or shrubs or any sort of fermented liquids to, to, to spice up some of his That's his, his new cocktail? thing. Is it? Oh, oh, man. Sorry. We have so many shrubs going in there. <laughs> like, oh, so let's do a revisit of what a shrub is. For the, we've had some shrubs shrub shows before but a a shrub I guess is uh, slightly fermented it's like a version of um, what you can make shrubs out of anything but he's been making these like rhubarb shrubs so rhubarb with a little bit of vinegar and let it kind of like sit and let the natural um, sugar starches come out Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was technically probably the vinegar pull I'm guessing the vinegar pulls out other things too and the fruit like when I've made shrubs before it I think it's also you know, because vinegar has a, obviously it has a lot of acidity, so it's pulling a lot of flavors out that you might not get mm-hmm. by doing a regular tea infusion or something like that. I'm sorry, 
<laughs> I was curious. <laughs> there, uh, yeah, his he makes this really good rhubarb. Well, not right now, but you know when we had lots of rhubarbs. Yeah, it's rhubarb shrub, um, and it's it's interesting because rhubarb is one of those like it's naturally tart already, so usually it's covered up with lots of sugar. So doing a shrub with rhubarb is actually such a good way to naturally enhance the fruit. And people are like, oh wow, I didn't really know rhubarb tasted like this because I've been so used to having rhubarb pie that you know tastes really sweet. Yeah, that's yeah. true. How many people do you usually entertain for these dinners? Uh, it depends. So for our small dinners, we do 12. And mm-hmm. then for uh, larger pop-up events, we do anywhere from 30 to 100. We've kind of we've done one 100-person dinner. That was like our oh. very first big-person dinner. And it was, uh, it was a little crazy. It was like, that's a big dinner. <laughs> it was, it uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we were not prepared. We had been doing this dinner as kind of like this, oh, yeah, this is, like, cool. We'll have some of our friends, and then we'll have friends of friends, and now we have a couple strangers. And then we got it into this idea that we should do a 100-person dinner and rent out this huge place um, in the Lower East Side to do it. Uh, and this was, what, two two and a half years ago now. So we learned so much by then, but... Man, like that first dinner, basically, or that first big dinner, essentially everything went wrong. Like we ordered this tree. It was supposed to be 10 feet. We got an 8-foot tree, and then we got a 15-foot tree, and then the beer came without taps. And then like all these people showed up really early, and the tables weren't configured, and it was insanity. My my intern burdened half my hors d'oeuvres. I mean, I was just like, what is happening today? Yeah, yeah. So, are, do you, so do you have some that are open to public? Or? Yeah, all are totally open to public. Um, we just send out tickets via uh, a listserv. So if you just sign up on our website, which is, I forgot, it's Wednesday.com, um, we have a mailing list, and we'll be releasing some tickets for our January dinner probably this weekend. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll be on the lookout for both your dinner and for a Christmas trolley thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. For, for Perfect compliments <laughs> to each other, yeah. yeah. You you had fun today. You made oh. cheese today, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, I got your cheese making God. today. I got out of one of my jobs early today, and I, since I had some time on my hands, I'm like, why don't I make some cheese? Um, so I picked up some rennet last week. That's what does. Yeah, so I had actually picked up some rennet and citric acid. Where'd you end week. up getting the rennet? I did end up getting it from the place you told me to go. Kalushians? Yeah, Kalushians. Okay. Which um, I spent like an hour just like looking through the whole place. I was like, everything I ever wanted is here. <laughs> yeah. 20 kinds of paprika. Amazing. Um, also, a lot of rennet. I also got suckered into buying the cheese salt, which, spoiler for everybody, it's just salt. Um, <laughs> it's just salt. <laughs> <laughs> Ingredients, salt. All right. Whatever. Cheese salt. Uh, so I made some mozzarella today. This I made several Ooh. hours ago. Um, I brought a little bit. It's not quite as stretchy as they want it to. I haven't tried it, so you guys are going to be my taste testers, I guess. Were, uh, you, were you following a recipe that you found I online? I was. I found it on Pinterest. You found it um, on Pinterest. Yeah, basically. It was, um, let's see if I can remember my thing. So uh, I dissolved the citric acid and the rennet separately in little bits of water. Um, I poured almost a gallon. I didn't have room in my pot for the whole gallon of milk. Um, not Not ultra-pasteurized. But it was homogenized and pasteurized, because that's what they had in the store. Um, then I added the citric acid on low heat um, for a little while, and then the rennet. And then you take it off the flame. You put um, you put a cover on the pot and let it sit for five minutes, and then it starts to like look kind of like tofu. And you split it up into curds, like with a knife, and stir it for a little while. Keep stirring it, and then um, after a while, it forms some bigger curds, strain them out, 
And then well, the interesting part is after you strain out the curds, you're going to heat up the whey again and then put the curds back in there so that the curds get really stretchy when they're at like 135 degrees. And But you want them separate. So I used a, I didn't have a slotted spoon for some reason. I don't know where my slotted spoon went. So I, <laughs> we I had actually, that same issue. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I know I have one. I don't know where it is. So I ended up using um, the small plastic strainer that I use for kefir instead of a slotted spoon and it probably worked better because it hold, it holds more mm -hmm. um and then he heated that up and then kind of took the hot cheese i didn't buy the gloves that i told me to buy <laughs> so i had hot hands um and folded it over stretched it over as much as i could and that was it <laughs> and then put it in the fridge awesome. it actually only took about 40 minutes but it was like i was paying attention the whole time cool right yeah and i had to buy a thermometer which was actually a really good investment. Definitely recommend buying a digital thermometer for anybody who doesn't have one. Yes, that's an excellent yes. holiday gift. <laughs> yeah. That is yeah. a yeah. great holiday For pretty much gift. anybody that does fermentation, I think. Just mm -hmm. yeah. there's always something that you're going to use it for. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are going to, you guys want to try this mozzarella yeah. cheese? Yeah. So while you're divvying that up, I want to go back to fish sauce. Yes. Yeah. Because, so fish sauce is something I never, I grew up in a, in the rural Midwest, so I didn't. I wasn't exposed to very many cuisines when I was little. So I didn't grow up with a lot of the food that I now eat regularly. And like fish sauce is one of those things like. that I probably didn't encounter until I was in my late yeah. 20s, I'm guessing. And I love it. Chris is a little more hesitant because... <laughs> Low doses and, 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 and blended into the right environment. It's yeah. awesome. And yeah, as long as it's not a notice, noticeable... Uh, yeah. fish zing, and it's just a zing zing. Right. I'm yeah. into yeah. You know? but I But I made... Um, <clears throat> I made a uh, chicken chili verde in my pressure cooker last year, mm. and it was a serious eats recipe. And they added a dish. Of, I think there was, that was my first like dash of fish sauce. So I've yeah. used fish sauce in a lot of stuff, and I just bought actually at Colutions this bourbon barrel aged fish sauce, which is very different. And actually, Colutions has like uh, uh, ten or fifteen different kinds of fish really? sauce. I'm guessing they have a lot, maybe not that many, but they had a lot more than I've seen before. Um, but I think that, and now I've been adding it to almost everything. Like yes. I added a little bit when I made. I made vegetarian stuffing or you know <laughs> stuffing without turkey in it and i used a, a dash of the fish sauce i used a dash of the fish sauce actually um in the gravy that i made mm -hmm. i've just been adding just to give it that extra zing but yep. what are you what are your, some of your favorite things to use fish yeah sauce i think in? fish sauce is like a perfect finishing salt like if you um i think it goes besides obviously going well with uh southeast asian cuisine it goes really well with spanish and mexican cuisine i don't know what it is I'll, um Spanish too, like you know, because they have a lot of fish. But yeah, like something about adding it to tomato sauce. Um, yeah. My favorite. So I make this tomato sauce. Everyone's like, "What's in this sauce?" It's um, tomatoes, lots of mushrooms, and fish sauce. And then, like, I'm telling wow, you, that is that the, that is the magical combination. Hmm. Like, no, tell, don't tell. I need an Italian grandmother. Like, oh my god, throw her out. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. Um, and yeah, with Mexican cuisine, it's so good. Uh, I learned in Vietnam when I was there that. It's Viet one or the other, Vietnamese fish sauce and Thai fish sauce. One is with anchovies, another one with sardines. Mm -hmm. But they're relatively interchangeable unless you have, like, a really delicate palate. Um, I usually use Red Boat. It's like they have, yeah. they're like virgin pressed. I don't, I don't well, know what it one, means. I think the bourbon but, barrel one is made by Red. Oh, okay. The one that I bought. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, they have like, um, so the numbers on the fish sauce, like 40, 50 or 60, it just tells you how, uh, how much percentage of fish sauce to water. So it's really like okay. if it was a hundred percent fish sauce, it'd be like way too much. Yeah. So the 60% one's going to be a little bit more intense than the 40, 40, 40 N one or however they designate it. Um, yeah, but it's, 
it's like I put it on everything unless obviously I'm making something vegetarian. But yeah, um, it's really good if you're like mixing any of your fermented, all these fermented foods is like really nice with fish sauce. And it doesn't really taste like fish, I don't think. No, so I know, especially like if you're using it as a, like you said, as basically a condiment. Mm -hmm. And there is an Italian fish sauce too. Oh, actually. yeah. Yep. And they had that at Colucci's. I've never seen it. We had a guest, Rob, ha Rob Handel, we've mm -hmm. had on a couple of times, and he's making oh, his he's own fish sauce, fish sauce mm -hmm. from scratch. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, um, and I really want to make some too, but I don't. What yeah. kind of fish? Your cats will go crazy. That's true. Oh, my God. Also, like, we'd have to fresh catch, catch fish. And I, I totally know how to clean a fish, but I haven't. Yeah, we can't do that. East River fish <laughs> would not work in fish sauce. That's so had an interesting yeah. nuance to it. Yeah. 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 I mean, we could probably get one fresh at, the, at one of the fish markets. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but anyway. But, yes, fish sauce. It's, like, one of my favorite new condiments. And so good. I feel like I haven't explored it fully. So Chris is so excited. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> awesome. There's so many, like, strange fermented things. After I started getting into fish sauce, I would, like, walk down the fermented aisle um, at, like, the Chinese or, like, Thai supermarkets. And it's like, what are all these things? Fermented tofus and fermented, like, um, mustard greens, also really good. Um, there's this, like, really kind of disgusting-looking fermented tofu that's good that comes in jars and you like eat it with rice that's all sorts stinky of tofu. <laughs> yeah there's stinky, stinky tofu it's a it's Stinky tofu is, like, actually dry, and it's also stinky, but, like, they have this other, like, wet, slimy one. I'm not describing it in a great, great way. But, <laughs> but it's, like, strangely good and kind of addictive. It's, like, one of those acquired tastes. Oh, I mean, but, I've never oh, had that. Yeah, that it's, like, great. it comes in, a, like, a very shockingly drab gray jar. It's, like, in this pool of liquid. You're, like, what is this? <laughs> but it's so good. Awesome. Well, so your website, again, is? Uh, I forgot it's Wednesday.com. Come hang out with us at a dinner sometime. Awesome. Thank yep. you so much for being on. I'm very inspired to go home and, and ferment but, some good stuff. I didn't ferment anything over my Thanksgiving staycation, I'm ashamed to say. I did cook a lot, but mm -hmm. but uh, I definitely have some fermentation dreams, especially now. So thank yes. you so much. Ferment all the meats. Yeah. Ferment <laughs> all the things. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny Dorsey, thank you so much. Thank you. I forgot it's Wednesday. Ferment about it. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>